We have the, the pleasure of having Jeff Miles with us today. Some of you, if you've been around CMP during the week, will have met Jeff. Um, but uh, many of you will not have, have met him. So now's your opportunity to find out who the person is who's bringing the message before we hear uh, the message that God has for us today. So I've got a few questions for Jeff. So, Jeff, you spend some time during the week, week at Church in the Marketplace off, offering Christian counselling. So what does that involve? Well, um, eight years ago, I was asked by a, a minister of a church in, um, uh, in Redfern if I'd come and work as a chaplain, and I tried my level best not to do that. Uh, but he asked me, I think, three times... Uh, yeah, I think three times and uh, finally my wife said, you ought to do it, so I did it. Uh, and what I discovered in working as a chaplain, that there are people there that needed to talk through their problems, they needed to understand what their, uh, the issues are that are besetting them, the anxieties, the depression, the... Uh, understand those sort of things. In the course of the last eight years, I've studied uh, to a postgraduate level with counselling and I, I love it. I love doing that. Um, because of my age, I'm now leaving the work of a chaplain and I still feel like I want to um, be involved in counselling. And out of the blue, I didn't ask, um, Peter called me up and he said I hear you're looking for a room for counselling so that happened about March or April last year after you'd had the flood through the place and uh, <laughs> that's right yeah you've had a view but um, yeah so uh, now I'm um, offering myself for counselling um, I advertise through an organisation called Life Supports they, they do a lot of national advertising and so people that are in this locality that are looking for counselling, they, um, uh, uh, they actually direct people to me. They look at my profile and decide whether that's somebody they want to meet with. So that's what I do. Thanks, man. Um, is there a recent example of somebody whose life has been changed through your counselling work? Okay, not so recent, but it started about eight years ago. Keith, would you like to come up? You have to stand close up here. Oh, you've got that. Okay, so um, about seven or eight years ago, I was at uh, church in Redfern and I, um, this guy looking a little bit... I made a joke because I used to be a farmer and he had the look of a kelpie that had been kicked too much. Um, <laughs> sorry, Keith. <laughs> and I just thought, how on earth can I help this guy? And after I got to know him, I realised that he's had a very rough life, had a, uh, some tough examples, he had some real health problems and... But then I heard him say that his mother, who passed away more than 20 years ago, had said that she wants him to go back to church, to go back to church. And I realised it's not my work, it's God's work. And so when 
uh, Keith came, I realised that God was answering the prayers of his mother from more than 20 years back. Uh, Keith, do you want to tell us... Uh, put that microphone to you. Yep. Hello. Hello. Yeah, we got you. I'm not used to public speaking. Um, uh, put it close to you. In, in a nutshell, in... Um, 91, I had a uh, horrific car accident. I had my right arm ripped off and um, and they sewed it back on for me. But uh, due to that, the, the trauma and um, frustration, depressing, I just lost all um, sense of hope in life and uh, my life really spiralled out of control and um, I got really heavily involved and on the road of self-destruction and... and pretty much destroyed myself and I got to the point where I actually contracted hepatitis C and um, I tried to get treatment for it. I got really, really ill and uh, and a doctor said if I didn't stop um, taking all the drugs and, and different things that I was on that because um, I was an alcoholic and um, I'd probably live a year or two and, um, and it was really scaring but... I had so many multiple addictions, I didn't know where to start. So I knew that the church had a drug program and I walked in there and, um, yeah, it's, I'm not used to public speaking, but anyway, um, I'll bear with it. And um, all I can say is I've been drug-free for five years and um, God's changed my life. Yeah, um, I don't know what more to say. Well, I could ask you a question. Has it been easy? Has it all been on the upwards or uh, not always? Well, it's um, it's been up and down. Um, I was so comfortable with living, doing the wrong thing. It's always hard to, um, for me anyway, to live... A, a, a sinful life. I struggle with my faith every day. It, it doesn't come easy. I'm not comfortable with it yet. But I'd rather be not comfortable with doing the right thing than being comfortable with doing the wrong thing. Okay. So, um, Thanks, yeah. Pete. Thank you very much. Yeah. Keith, thank you. I I struggle to own up with the the faults that I have in my life and the difficulties that I have in my life. So I really appreciate you. Uh, sharing. Jeff, um, how does God sustain you in your work as a counsellor? Okay, I think he equips you with certain gifts to be able to listen to people, to be able to hear people's circumstances without, uh, without judgement and uh, to be able to uh, just listen and uh, attend to people. But Along with that, when you're talking with people and many people who are struggling with difficulties, with trying to make ends meet, with depression, with anxiety, with resentments and all those sort of things, it can get you down a bit. I'm very fortunate. Uh, my wife is a... Um, she's a Christian role model for me. She's a real blessing. And she encourages me in the work I do. But... There's also things that professionals can do. I, um, uh, I, undertake, I uh, submit to professional supervision um, about every 10 or 12 years of 
counselling that I do. I try to uh, meet with a supervisor, a more experienced person that helps me understand and put things into context. And also the pastor that I work for is particularly gifted and I think you could ask Keith about it later. Um, he uh, had experience as a drug user when he was young and he has a really wonderful understanding and it makes our church uh, a good place as a destination for people that are broken and people that are, are really struggling. So it's basically my wife is supportive. Um, I am equipped in a sense by uh, able to listen to people without judgment, without preconceptions and I do supervision and also the pastor I work for is not trained as a counsellor but he knows more about people and the uh, issues that they're beset with than I do. So I'm blessed in that way. Great. Can I guess that your supervision is every 10 to 12 weeks rather than every 10 to 12 years? <laughs> Might have been a slight slip there. Yeah, uh, did I say... I? It, pretty much we try to do supervision uh, within 10 to 20 hours of counselling and we then seek supervision. And that supervision involves somebody asking you about what's been going well, what's been going badly, giving you some reflections on how to change things, that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, what's going on in your life? What, and I might say, well, the question that is in my mind, people who are now refusing to move forward, they have made some progress but they don't want to move forward in obedience and sometimes it's just... You need to be careful. You can re-traumatise people by having them talk about their old traumas and their old problems. Thank you, mate. That's great. Let's just what before you go. Let's pray for Jeff, and also for Keith, and for God to bless the work that uh, that Jeff does. Lord of Life, um, we are in a broken world, and you are seeking to redeem that world to reconcile us to you. And we thank you for Jeff's role as your disciple in helping people to know you better, to know themselves better, uh, and to know that, that lives can be changed. We thank you for his patience, for his persistence, and for his gifts. And Lord God, we thank you for our brother Keith today. We thank you for his dedication as a disciple. We thank you for his willingness to submit to you. We thank you for his witness to us that even though the path of life may not always be easy, you are there, that you bless us and that you make it easier to do the right thing uh, than sometimes we think it might be. And we thank you that our Lord Jesus goes in front of each one of us preparing the path for us. Amen. Let's again come before God in prayer. Uh, but before, just before I do, just a lead up to the prayer. Some of us will have travelled in England and there's a place in England called Coventry. Some of us will have been to Coventry Cathedral. And Coven Coventry Cathedral was there for hundreds of years and it was badly bombed during the Second World War. So there are parts of the old cathedral still standing 
and it does look like a bomb site. It's still blackened and there's still the damage from the explosions and stuff. But there's a new cathedral there as well that was built uh, as a sign that the darkness will not be defeated. And uh, a bunch of young Christian students got together at Coventry Cathedral, not all that long after the war, and prepared a prayer of confession that was in the spirit of Coventry Cathedral, being a, a site of peacemaking, a site of reconciliation. So let's join together in the prayer that they, that they prepared. Father, we pray that you will forgive the hatred that is in us at times that divides nation from nation, race from race, class from class. Father, forgive the covetous desires of people and nations to possess what is not their own. Father, forgive, we pray, the greed which exploits the labours of people and lays waste to your glorious earth. Father, forgive our envy of the welfare and happiness of others. Father, forgive, we pray, our indifference to the plight of homeless people and of refugees. Father, forgive the lust which uses for bad ends the bodies of men and women. Father, forgive. Forgive the pride which leads to trust in ourselves and not to trust in you. Father, forgive. Amen. And of course, the good news is that if we confess our sins, God is with us, God forgives us, God renews us and sends us into the world as new beings. So now, Louise, firstly, is going to read an Old Testament passage and then David is going to read a New Testament passage. The Old Testament passage is chapter 8 of Deuteronomy. Be careful to follow every command I give you today so that you may live and possess, so you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forebears. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a parent disciplines his child, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, 
a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and the hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, fouling to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and waterless and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God, and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you surely will be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. The New Testament passage is Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. The parable of the persistent widow. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Thank you for those readings. The reason I'm sharing this with you today is when Peter came in and asked me if I would take this service today I'd been listening to a series of talks on Exodus and I had been just reading uh, Exodus 8 and uh, yes 
uh, Deuteronomy 8, that's right. And I realised then that there was this um, connection between what God did in Exodus and what in Deuteronomy uh, God was telling Moses to set in, uh, in the people the remembrances, the festivals, the things that actually help them sustain their faith. Um, so I'm going to talk on the fragility of faith, how our faith is fragile and how God actually helps us sustain that faith. Uh, my history is that uh, I was born into a Christian family and uh, I recall feeling when I was about 11 or 12 that God was really requiring me to make a decision for him. So when I became a teenager at 13, I realised I needed to make that decision and my decision to God was thanks but no thanks. I didn't want to be a Christian. Um, and... Um, but God doesn't let go of those he calls. And everybody here has had a different experience. I did not question God's existence. I knew he existed. I just thought I could live a better life without him than a li uh, I could live a better life without him than a life with him. About 12 years later, after many regretful experiences, mistakes and lost opportunities... I finally decided to let go of my way and let God. And so that was the story of God's faithfulness, not mine. The Bible tells us that the most precious thing in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, the most precious thing that God gives us is faith. It is more precious than gold. So today I want to speak on the fragility of faith and, and how God... What God gives us to undergird and to strengthen our faith and how to make that faith genuine. And I'm not sure, but I think in the last six or eight weeks, I think you've heard messages on Exodus from Peter, stories of God's chosen people and their journey out of Egypt. In Genesis, we saw how they came to be there in the first place. Um, Joseph's jealous, resentful, psychopathic brothers wanted to be rid of a younger brother. Uh, he was a father's favourite and he kept on telling his brothers uh, about dreams he was having that they would eventually serve him. So it's no surprise, is it, that uh, his brothers sought to get rid of him. This 3,800-year-old story tells us God's purpose... Um, it tells us about God's purpose. Jesus referred to this, the significance of these writings in Matthew 5. He said, Heaven and earth might pass away, but not one jot or one tittle shall in any way pass from the law till all is fulfilled. The relevance of all scripture is so true in this. And it's worthwhile just thinking, the only Bible Jesus had, the only Bible Paul, Peter, James had, was the Old Testament. These are the things from what all the teachings and all the understandings that we have come. Woven into these stories and these histories are the principles of God's care for us and for our faith. 
When we read them, we say, yes, I know, I have been there. When we read these old stories about God's dealing with his people, uh, we see that this, is, this mirrors our life. It was painful, it was tough, but out of that came great learning, a great learning experience. Joseph's life's very interesting. It un- unfolds like the perils of Pauline. First, his brothers sold him to Arab traders. Theon sold him to a wealthy man who served Egyptian royalty. And this man's lustful wife sought to frame, his, frame him as a sexual perpetrator. Joseph was then thrown into jail, forgotten for a long time in prison uh, by a man who actually promised to help him out of prison, but eventually by the gift that God gave him of interpreting dreams, he found himself as the Prime Minister of Egypt under Pharaoh. In Genesis 50, we see that there was a higher purpose for this. God had a, a much more significant thing in mind. And when his brothers finally appeared before him, they didn't recognise that he was Joseph. When his brothers appeared there, And when they understood that this man they were seeking food and sustenance from was their brother who they sold into slavery, he said, don't be afraid, am I in the place of God? Joseph knew that he was part of God's plan. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what has now been done. And that is the saving of many lives. There were 70, uh, there were 70 members of his family that came out of Canaan and we're told that uh, 400 years later there were hundreds of thousands of people that God led out of Egypt. There was a specific purpose that God had in all that drama. Joseph had the wisdom and inspiration to know that without him being in Egypt, God's chosen people would have been dispersed and perished in that famine. God's purpose was to save a people for himself so that the descendants of Abraham, which they were, might become the people from, uh, from whom our Saviour, the Lord Jesus, came. Joseph became a type of Christ. He suffered that his family may live. We move forward 400 years after Joseph and things have changed. The people of Israel have become slaves and so the book of Exodus takes us through the twists and turns that of God and Moses in bringing the people out of Egypt. Moses was a murderer who fled to become a shepherd in the wilderness of Midian and how God u- used him. God spoke to him through a burning bush Moses recognised the significance of a bush that did not burn away. He be, his, in his curiosity, he moved towards that burning bush and asked who he was. God answered in effect, I am he who has already existed. God, Moses realised that this was the God, the creator of the world that was speaking to him. The plagues, the flight from Egypt, the twos and fro's of the people learning to trust and seeing that God is involved in all the things that bring us to this point in time. The learnings by the people when they were coming out of Egypt, they, this was a wonderful, uh, well, hard learning experience for them. 
everything is on show. The wonderful thing about scripture is that it tells us the truth. It tells us the uh, unpleasant truth of things. The people of Israel, they complained. They said to Moses, why have you brought us here to die? The Egyptian army is going to destroy us with his army and his 600 chariots. What we learn from that is faith is fragile when we fear. Oh, it would have been better if we'd stayed in Egypt. I've had a few careers and a few false starts that haven't always been pleasant. But looking back, I don't regret these changes. At the, but at the time, there was a great deal of fear and anxiety. We need to wait for God to act, even if it is at the last moment. There, God destroys and drowns Pharaoh's army. So those 600,000 people actually saw the destruction of the people that were bent on destroying them. But they had short memories. The people of Israel then go three days into the wilderness and then they start to complain again. Faith is fragile when we're in new places. We often ask, where to now? I believe the Western church is all the poorer because of our luxury and wealth. We have everything we need to survive. And yet, especially when compared to the majority of the world, and all we learn from that is that we learn to trust our own resources and our own cleverness. Um, where I often refer to the fact that we're very, very slow learners. When we are called to faith in Jesus, it is not always clear what God is doing. But he has a purpose even in suffering and in the mess of life. We learn to trust God. And when we see the israelites experiences they went further into the desert and they found a spring there that was bitter so the first thing they do is say moses why did you bring us here the water is undrinkable faith is fragile when we run out of options or when we don't get what we want we also see in exodus 16 things that remind us of ourselves in the desert the whole community grumbled against moses and aaron the Israelites said to them, if only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. God in his mercy then rained down food upon them in the form of manna and quail that was just read to us before. God always has a solution. Sometimes we don't like the solution but we see his gracious forgiveness even when we are faithless. Exodus also records the judgments against those who stand against God. The Amicalites, they sought to stop God's people entering the promised land. Can we live and trust that God will vindicate? And note here what Moses says in chapter 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll. So this is after the thing where there is a battle between the Amicalites and the Israelites and Moses is told to stand with his hands raised with his staff in his hand so that the people of Israel will prevail in their battle against the Amicalites and um, so God says remember trust wait Moses then built an altar 
and called it the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up the throne of the, against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amicalites from generation to generation. The war was fought under God's power, symbolised by Moses holding the staff. That is the symbol of God. God gives strength from his word to the believing community. Can you see here in the development of maturity as they come out of Egypt, the, in the Passover, the angel of death passed over all the Israelites and afflicted the Egyptians. Um, Moses parted the sea and the people were able to escape the Egyptians. But here we're starting to see that God is asking the people to fight and to trust God while they fight. It occurs to me there is an analogy here for us in New Testament times when we know what God has accomplished with Jesus. We have the same power and confidence that Joshua had when he read the, Moses, read the words Moses wrote as God told him. Moses was told to write this down and make sure that Joseph reads this because it is the knowledge that when Moses was holding his hands up uh, as God asked him to, that they prevailed. So in a sense, God asks us to remember these things so that we can actually uh, trust God uh, when things are difficult. The relevance to us in New Testament times, Paul writes in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, first from first to last, just as it is written, the just, the righteous will live by faith. It is the gospel, the story of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel has the power of God to transform lives. The gospel saves the sinner from his sin unto righteousness and holy living. When we preach the gospel, it is the power of God being announced. We are declaring God lived. He died and he rose again. This is the power of God to save sinners. We believe that and you are given God's spirit. And God's spirit is the seal of his salvation. When we receive God's spirit, that is the seal that this is real. Our faith is fragile. God knows that. You, uh, some of you won't remember, but there was an old Sunday school song Tell me the old, old story, for I forget so soon. It is our community, our meeting together, our reading of his word, remembering what he has done in the past. It is that that gives us confidence. It is the hope for an eternal future that is prepared for us. That is our hope, a hope that gives us strength when faith grows weak. It is his word, his spirit, and the regular meeting together of our community, that is what sustains us in our faith. And we learn from these things. Our faith grows when we read of the deliverances and goodness of God in the past. Our reading this morning from Deuteronomy 8, when confronting the uncertainties and challenges of our life, uh, in our lives, and seeking to survive in intact, 
we need to be reminded of how God has proved himself faithful in the past. His deliverances are the food that grows faith when we are tested. For us, the symbols of the Lord's Last Supper that we have been reminded of this last week, Jesus gave his body to take the punishment we deserve. He gave his blood, the innocent, his innocent blood in the place of our guilt. These are the stated purposes of God. I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians, to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land. It is God's plan to bring us, uh, to show us his capacity and his salvation. When they were coming into the land, Abraham was told 400 years before that the evil of the people in the land of Canaan had not reached its peak. It was now that God's people were to rid the land of evil. They had work to do. We have work to do. God gives festivals to remind us. And when I'm being advised about teaching or preaching, I'm told, don't, whatever you do, don't go rogue. Don't go running off uh, away from your notes. But if you'll um, let me do a bit here, I love hearing about the festivals that God gave the Israelites, the Passover. It's a reminder that an innocent life has died for us. The angel of death passed over those who obeyed, uh, those who obeyed by slashing, splashing the blood on the doorsteps and the lintels. There is the feast of unleavened bread. Unleavened bread lasts a little bit longer than leavened bread. It doesn't go mouldy so quick. They needed that food as they were journeying out of Egypt. The third feast that God gives them is the uh, feast of first fruits. And I only heard last week, I never knew this before, but I heard about this feast of first fruits. It is a feast that happens on the day after the Sabbath, after the Passover. So... It's interesting to reflect and I don't know how it excited me and I'll share it but as Jesus was walking out of the tomb on the day after the Sabbath there was a person, a, um, uh, uh, a caller, a clarion call in the temple, the very temple where they condemned Jesus for blasphemy, they were saying, come and bring the first fruits to God, to temple. And at that very same time, the day, the Passover happens on the, um, on the full moon in a particular month, but that happened on the Friday. Jesus was in the tomb the Friday evening, the Saturday, and the Sunday morning he walked out of the tomb we see the prophecies that these things were written 1,400 years before Jesus. We see that being fulfilled in his resurrection. And another thing that is quite remarkable that's worthwhile looking at uh, is the next feast is the Feast of Pentecost. This happens 49 days after uh, the resurrection. And Pentecost originally 
was a celebration of when God gave the Ten Commandments to the people. It's a celebration of the giving of his word. So what happened in the day of Pentecost that we know of? We know that God's spirit came down to the believers, was given to the believers, and they were given the capacity to speak his word um, to all. Yeah, it's a, a remarkable uh, thing. And then there's the Feast of Trumpets. The Day of Atonement's my favourite because on the day of I did a Bible study 40 years ago um, and I still remember it. There is the, on the Day of Atonement, two goats, two innocent goats are taken. One of them is killed as a sacrifice, the innocent for the guilty. The other one, the sins of the people are confessed upon that goat and a strong man takes that away. So far, it'll never be seen again. So we see in these feasts, this day of atonement, these, this thing, my guilt and my shame is taken away and, and it's taken away in Jesus. So it's all very... Um, I find these things exciting, so forgive me that I've digressed a little, but uh, as Keith will know, I sometimes wander off the message. So when faith is built, as a, built in us, what happens? God gives us his word. He gives to those of us who are trusting in Jesus his Holy Spirit, which is power, understanding and encouragement. In Luke 18, Jesus told them a parable. And that, that parable was the story of a, a, woman, who, um, uh, a woman who was... Um, uh, wasn't getting justice and so she went to this judge and she just kept on nagging the judge and eventually the, the judge says, um, uh, because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice so that she will not beat me down with her continual coming. And then Jesus said, I tell you... Um, and in verse 7... Uh, Jesus said and will not God give justice to the elect who cry to him day and night will he delay long over them I tell you he will give justice to them speedily nevertheless when the son of man comes will he find faith what's he talking about he's talking he's encouraging uh, us to think about the widow who persists in prayer and then he puts on the other end of that statement he talks about the tax collector and the Pharisee who go to pray. And the Pharisee stands by himself. God, I thank you. I'm not like other men. I don't, I'm not an extortionist. I'm not unjust. I don't commit adultery. Or even like the tax collector, he says, I fast twice a week. He was self-justifying himself. But then Jesus said... Um, the, the tax collector standing far off, standing in a corner, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man down, went down to his house justified rather than the other. In this story, Jesus uses these two stories to, book, to bookend the question, will I find faith? What did he mean? 
He then gives us a wonderful example of a trusting prayer by a tax collector who knew of his sinfulness. He knew of his need to be saved from sinfulness. The other, a law keeper, proud, arrogant, pretty confident of his position before God, Jesus tells, tells us it's a repentant tax collector who went down to his help justified. He, repent, he repented and repentance comes before salvation. Faith is built and sustained as we come to know of God's great deeds in the past. Faith grows in us and is actioned when we pray. It is by prayer that we action the faith that has grown in us. It is by prayer that we are acknowledging that God alone can give us the solution that we need. Amen. I think I'll leave it there, but thank you very much for the um, opportunity to, to speak to you today. Jesus calls us to pray. Jesus calls us to make our faith real in prayer by bringing the needs we have, by bringing the concerns and the anxieties we have to him in prayer. Um, and... I had some other thoughts there about the faith that Jesus actioned by going forward to Jerusalem where he knew he was going to be uh, crucified. But I will leave that there. Thank you very much.